Hey all, this is Stephen Howe, co-host of Not So Private Equity. I'm excited to kick off our conversation with Chip Ramsey. But before we dive in, I want to thank ECA Partners for sponsoring Not So Private Equity. ECA is an executive search and on-demand consulting firm specializing in low and mid-market private equity. To learn more about ECA services, you can reach them through their website, eca-partners.com. Now, across the mic from me today is Chip Ramsey, partner at Kaliza Capital Partners, a private equity firm that focuses on founder-owned companies, specifically in the commercial services sector in Texas. Chip, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Stephen. Glad to be here. So as we mentioned, Chip, you are at Kaliza Capital Partners right now as a partner on the team. But let's rewind. I want to understand your journey to private equity. Sure. So I'll get back all the way back to college. I went to Texas A&M. I believe you did as well. Yeah, that's right. I got into the business school and you had a year or two to figure out what major you wanted to do. I was kind of between accounting and finance. And long story, I chose accounting. Many long nights later, I regretted that decision for years, but it seemed to all work out in the end. I started my career doing audit work for large oil and gas companies at PricewaterhouseCoopers and did that for a few years like the guys I was working with, learned some valuable skills, but ultimately didn't see myself working there long term and pivoted over to move into a M&A advisory group within KPMG, also focused on oil and gas M&A. And that's the financial due diligence group. And so that was kind of my first exposure to M&A transactions and private equity. Granted, these were large billion dollar deals, much different than what we're doing now, but it was a good primer for how the process worked. I did that for several years. I actually really liked my job. Love my coworkers, still keep in touch with most of them to this day. And one of my uh, coworkers, Ben Berryman, who's a partner with me at Kaliza, he knew a guy from church, Casey Cronbeck, our third partner, who had an opportunity to invest and partner up with a local foundation repair company that was, you know, doing really well in the sales and marketing and operations side. And they realized if they wanted to take it to the next level, they needed more help on the numbers side, getting their books lined up, job costing set out, proper capital allocation, more just like professionalizing the business. They had kind of scaled to a point where they were really good at what they were doing up to that point and they wanted to take it to the next level. So we had the opportunity to partner together buy-in and I just jumped in head first with Ben and Casey and into this that was mid to late 2019. We still hold that investment and we, we all three kind of decided let's do this. Let's put all of our time and effort into this or Chip and Ben's time and effort into this. And if it works, let's, let's go buy more. And uh, since we did that, we picked up the plumbing company as well in Dallas. And then we most recently, about a month ago, bought another plumbing company. So we have three port codes and uh, looking to add more. And that's how I got into private equity. There's no, a lot of people, you know, the traditional route of you go into investment banking two years, like all that stuff. No, I, we just kind of jumped in and Ben and I like to say we got our MBA at the School of Hard Knocks. We've been through it. We were pretty hands-on guys. And so we've got baptized by fire and learned how to do it the hard way. Yeah, that's a good point. So there's three of you at the firm or is it just two? It's uh, two of us are more in the day-to-day. That's Ben and I, younger guys, and Casey's our third partner. I mean, he's around. He's got his hands in a, a lot of other stuff, basically running what you like a quasi-family office. He got a background in commercial real estate, did incredibly well after the recession in 08, and has diversifying a lot of his money. And through that, he wanted to help Ben and I start this private equity arm. So 
he's there. He helps us raise money. And his gut instinct is unlike any, anyone we've ever met. He's not really a numbers guy. You obviously look at him and can do it, but he likes just evaluating people, the emotional intelligence aspect or EQ. Um, he can kind of sit across from someone and know if, if something's going to work or not. And so we got lucky that he thought he saw something in us and uh, we were all able to partner together and try and create some value. Well, I'm sure three, you said you have three port codes right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the foundation repair, plumbing, and then what was the other industry that you're in? Another plumbing. So we have a Permapure Foundation Repair that's based in Dallas, but operates statewide. It's got offices in Dallas, Houston, Austin, San Antonio. We have a Black Tie Plumbing, also headquartered in Dallas with presence in Austin, Houston, San Antonio. And then we recently just partnered up with some guys in College Station for Maroon Plumbing, and that's just in College Station at the moment. And so those are our three portcos. Okay. It wouldn't be uh, Bronco Ventures out there in College Station you're partnered with, is it? No, we partnered with two local operators that were 50-50 owners in the business, yeah. Okay. Do you make your way back out to College Station often at all? Yeah, we'll get there. I uh, So the, the one we just bought in College Station was a little smaller than what you might read if you were going on our website and look at our investment criteria. And we pride ourselves on being very hands-on and being able to actually like put on our boots and jeans and you know, operating these businesses alongside these employees. And we mean that. So we are not just behind a computer screen in Dallas. I go to College Station every week. I'm there two days a week. And we'll be doing that for the foreseeable future until I've got all the knowledge I need from here and feel comfortable putting in a permanent general manager. But we have a solid team there. They don't need me, to be clear. I could turn my phone off for a week and everything goes fine. But uh, we like being in the details. And, you know, a month in on this transaction, there's still a lot of details that I need to get familiar with. Whenever you're investing or buying a company, actually, that's something happy to chat about, too. Are you minority or control investors? These are all control. Yeah. We like, ideally, anyone we would partner with these sellers, we would like them to roll a portion of equity and stay on and have a vested interest in our combined success. And that, that's what we've been able to do. Are you usually the first institutional capital into these businesses? Yeah, yeah. So if we were to do like a little elevator pitch at a conference, yeah, we would be looking to be the first institutional capital. Top end of our investment would be a company generating $5 million, maybe to die. We could go higher if we needed to, but you start getting into pretty big competition there. Control investment, history of you know positive cash flow. Give me a reason why Amazon can't just do this tomorrow. So until Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk can you know build robots that fix foundations or plumbing or you know, HVAC, electrical, all those blue collar trades, we'll be interested and we'll be buyers. Thinking about competition here, how do you find these companies? These seem, I mean, I could see business brokers working with some of these companies. They seem a little bit too small for traditional investment banking funnels. Be curious. To hear how you find them. A great question. So Ben is our business development savant. He is the most caffeinated person in the DFW Metroplex. I take meetings, he takes meetings, he gets out there and he's really grinding. He helped us find this one in College Station. That was actually through a broker relationship he had. We get them all. So we get brokered deals and off market. Casey's a pretty well connected guy, so he throws us stuff all the time. When we were first getting started, you know, we got the foundation repair company and the, the initial plumbing company stabilized, working well, everything going great. And so let's let's do some more. 
we kind of had to come up with a thesis. Well, what do we do? Well, we like the blue collar trade. So we'll say, we'll focus on that, but we'll look at anything. Okay. And so we were looking at anything. We looked at a tech company. We looked at a heavy, heavy asset, heavy manufacturing business. We looked at a media company and we had to start asking ourselves, why are we seeing these deals? Who else has passed on these that knows much more than we do about these industries? And so we decided to get more focused on just the home services, licensed, largely licensed trades that you can't outsource. And that's where we've been. And we have come across some off-market deals. We've gotten really close on two and they're hard. They're, it adds this complexity that, that you don't get with brokered deals. The, you know, the one we just purchased was a broker deal with a relationship we had, but we've had, like I mentioned too, one of them was a week before close. It just, it, it, we had to pull out. You have to first convince these guys, and that's the waters we're swimming in on these smaller deals. So it's give and take, but you have to convince these guys that they should sell. And then, which is kind of like your incentives aren't exactly aligned because you want to buy. So of course you want to tell them they should sell. And then you have to tell them what you think they should sell for. And once again, your incentives aren't aligned because you're trying to get it for a reasonable price. And they want probably three times more than what market offers. And then you got to convince them to sell to you. So if you can check all those boxes, which we've done a couple of times, then you, you get to the negotiations phase and it's, there's just, Every deal's different. It always looks good from a sim or a teaser that, oh, this one looks pretty straightforward. We always say that, oh, this one, this should be easy. And then you get in there and there's always something that complicates the deal, and whether it's working capital or, or debt items or stuff you find in diligence. There's kind of a, a trust factor that you need to build with the seller. And once again, you're the other side of the table from them. And so many of these operators, I have a tremendous respect for how they've built their business. They all share many things in common. You know, largely they have no debt. It was all financed initially, personally, or through friends and family. They're very shrewd. They are frugal to a fault. They track every transaction that comes through their bank. And so when you come in and say, hey, you know, we might've found something that you got to adjust the purchase price or whatever, they can get pretty defensive there and rightfully so. But they're all really, really tremendous operators who deserve every penny that they can get from these transactions. Do you find that these operators have a certain opinion or perception of private equity that you have to overcome in those initial few conversations with them? Yeah, for sure. Nobody wants to say that they are the, hey, we're going to buy your business and in two to three years, we're just going to flip it again. That's not our approach, luckily. But even the guys who that is their approach, they would certainly say that's not their approach. But there is the opinion we're going to come in and we're going to fire everybody and we're going to raise prices and we're going to ruin your brand and all the things. Like most people would say, we're not that way. It's just me, Ben and Casey. We don't have like a dedicated fund. We raise all these on a deal by deal basis. There's no mandates. There's no hold periods. It's everything we do is with a pretty friendly investor and it can be for the long-term health and benefit of the business. So it's like we would start off by saying, how do we get these guys to overcome the stigma of private equity? Well, they need to like us and we need to like them. It's a two-way street. You can tell pretty early if it's just not going to work. We always say, hey, we're not the, the 22-year-old New York private equity associate in a suit behind a computer telling you to slash GNA. We're in there with you. You built the business that we want to buy. It's attractive enough for us to want to get in. We don't need to make significant changes. We have one of our pitches we can say, to these sellers is we can grow your sales pretty quickly through our real estate network. I, I mentioned Casey's a, um, had a pretty successful career in real estate and we can pretty much with a couple emails increase these guys sales fairly quickly to the 
commercial space, at least. If they aren't there, we, you know, we, they only do residential, but we can add a commercial arm pretty quickly and get those sales up and running. If they are in commercial already, great, we can grow it. Those are a couple of the big items that we would say would stand us apart. So you have a lot on your plate. I mean, whenever it comes to transactions and growing the businesses that you buy, lots to do there. Where do you find you spend most of your time? At the moment in the businesses right now, we kind of will carve out a, I'll call it three to six month period after we would buy a business where we would say, hey, this is just, you need to be prepared to be in this up to 40 hours a week. And we don't think it'll be that, but you need to be prepared for that. And it hasn't been that, but I'm doing quite a bit at the moment with the new company. We're going through a new marketing program, revamping website, getting all the Google stuff going looking at CapEx needs, how do we grow, how do we hire, all the fun stuff. And it's just, it's every aspect of the organization. How do we pay people, the banking, the financial statements, how do we get QuickBooks set up, all the things. And so that can take a good amount of time. And we don't just hire someone else to go in and do that. We do that ourselves, which is another pitch to that we have to these sellers. We aren't financial engineers. So many of these guys, especially as you get into the larger EBITDA, They'll, what we'll say, overpay. You start doing the math on how much are these guys paying and using debt and how much, what's their debt service here? How can they even afford to do this? They're keeping it razor thin on cash. And they're, all they're trying to do is collaborate together enough of these to then flip it at even a higher multiple to somebody else. They're not actually generating value. It's like our goal would be to grow a plumbing company by growing its sales. So, yeah, we're not financial engineers. We're not levering up, overpaying, and hoping for some, like, big multiple arbitrage when we can cobble a few of these together. We're very conservative with that. And the way we're going to grow this business is through the business, not through adding on a bunch of others and just hoping somebody else pays more for it. We have no, like I said, investment horizon. So it's long or short as it needs to be, whatever is best for the business. Is there anything that you spend your time on that you're surprised you have to spend so much time on? Ooh, that's a good question. I'll need to think on that. Before we, we close this deal and you say, well, what am I spending my time on? We're, we're looking at a ton of stuff. So we have relationships with people, with brokers, in, you know, like I said, the off-market stuff, the business development on top of what we're our other portcos. And so it's just us three. We don't have our analysts, anything. We do everything. We source the deals. We do the diligence. We underwrite. We up with legal. We close the deals. We operate the deals. So it's manageable to a point when we add another one or two of these things, we would probably look to grow and help ourselves. That's a good point. Thinking a bit more about the companies you invest in, you know, foundation repair, plumbing services, is there any type of company or sub sector within the broader sector that you invest in that you're very excited about? Foundation repair is an interesting one. It was a kind of an ignored market for a long time. It's largely a, an issue in Texas. That is the foundations failing. You know, you talk to guys, we've been at conferences with guys on the East Coast, and we try to explain them what we do, and their eyes kind of get a little crossed, like, well, hold on, I don't understand, because the foundations don't really shift as much over there. So it's a, it's a problem largely unique to Texas. And the, the soil here is just horrible. So that we always joke that there's two types of homes in Texas, those whose foundation has failed, and those whose foundations haven't failed yet. And we like it because it's pretty technical. It's technically an unlicensed trade, but you can't just go out and do it. You need to know what you're doing. It's fairly technical and, and largely overlooked. And as things have started to heat up in the HVAC and plumbing and all the other MEP space where, you know, you hear people paying five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve times for these deals, the capital looks for its best return. And so, okay, maybe now all of a sudden they're pricing themselves out of the market and it's looking so 
we have just noticed a big uptick in people reaching out to us, you know, do you want to sell your funded? No, we're not interested yet, but we're excited to already have one that appears to have just market conditions. People seem to value it more. So we're excited about that. And, you know, the plumbing's the same, but, you know, tons of plumbing built in the past was built with cast iron pipes and those are going to fail. And so the, the longer those are in the ground, the more rusted they get, the more they'll fail and the more plumbing work there'll be. So we're pretty bullish on the plumbing and our foundation pair. We would definitely look to add on an HVAC to try and get a more wholesome service provider that can do the plumbing and HVAC all in one, but we're not going to overpay for it. You know, we may even start one on our own, or if one comes in that is at a fair price, we would absolutely scoop it up. Do you see the companies that you acquire as platform investments and you plan to buy other smaller companies and bolt them on? Yes and no. It would depend on the people, processes, and systems. Those are kind of our three pillars. Like uh, every business is really just comes down to people, processes, and systems. And systems and processes run businesses, but people run systems and processes. is kind of our thing. So the people is the most important. So if you're going to look at something that in our eyes would be a platform investment, you'd have to have the people in place that can do it already. And in that case, yeah, you, you might buck up a little extra to pay a little more. But like I mentioned, we have no real fund mandate. We're out looking for opportunities. And if we think we can add value alongside the legacy partner, we'll do it, whether it's a true platform that you can bolt onto or if it's a more of a standalone um, that we're looking to grow independent of M&A. Good. Well, Chip, I appreciate you walking us through what Kaliza is up to these days. I really enjoy hearing about what's on your plate. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen.